Hello, I'm Mary Sabatino, Vice President and Partner at Gallery Lalong & Co. And it is my pleasure to welcome you once again to Viewpoints with Gallery Lalong. In this episode of the Viewpoints podcast, we'll hear from artists Leonardo Drew and curator Larry Ose Mensa, two like-minded voices in contemporary art. Larry Ose Mensa is a leading curator and cultural critic who grew up in the Bronx. In 2018, he was named the Suzanne Feld Hilberry Senior Curator at the Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit, where he uses contemporary art as a way to redefine how we see ourselves and the world around us. As a Ghanaian-American, he has organized exhibitions and programs at galleries and museums in New York and across the globe, including his recent contributions to the first-ever Ghanaian Pavilion at the 2019 Venice Biennale. Leonardo Drew is a Brooklyn-based sculptor known for transforming and assembling varied material in an attempt, as he says, to make chaos legible. His first large-scale public art project, a 100-foot-long work called City in the Grass, is currently on view in Madison Square Park Conservancy, and his solo exhibition of new sculptural work is on view here at Gallery Lalong in New York City. For Larry Osei-Mensa and Leonardo Drew, thanks for joining us at Viewpoints with Gallery Lalong. Hey, good afternoon. My name is Larry Osei Mensa. I am the Suzanne Feld Hilberry Senior Curator at the Museum of Contemporary Art, also the co-founder of the Collective Art Noir. We're here with Leonardo Drew. Hello. Incredible artist, legendary, iconic. And we're here at Gallery Lalong, taking in his first exhibition with the gallery. Obviously not his first exhibition. First exhibition he did in his career was at 13, which we'll talk about. Uh, and we're excited, so we're going to talk about Leo's career, give you a better sense of who he is as a person, who he is as an artist, give you an insight into the vocabulary he's built, and uh, have a little fun. So Unscripted. <laughs> very unscripted, somewhat. <laughs> so let's take a step back, talking about being immersed in the space. Mm. You grew up in Bridgeport. P.T. Barnum houses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Memories, baby. And there's, and there's the, I mean, P.T. Barnum was a character. Yes. But what was it like coming up in Bridgeport? So for me, I'm from the Bronx. So you say Bronx. Just think of the Bronx with landfills. Okay. <laughs> they were built on landfills. That's P.T. Barnum Apartments. Mm-hmm. My, our apartment, actually, through all the windows, we could see the landfill. Mm-hmm. That's where we were surrounded by mm-hmm. landfill. And that's where I spent a lot of my time. At the time, it was just instinctively putting things together. I didn't even know what it meant to be an artist. It was just that as a child, it was like, you know, you're investigating, you're researching, uh, digging up things, and just imagine your, your, your playground's a landfill. Mm. So, I mean, all the information that's there, I mean, all the past lives that are there, things that are there, I mean, you just, you just, you know, you become it, mm. you know? And I'm still it because of that experience. The only thing that doesn't really survive that is the fact that then I was using found objects. I refuse to use found objects now because what I learned then was that within those objects, there was already, you know, a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seemed very easy to sort of like, you know, work those stories into largest stories or continuations of stories. Mm-hmm. So right now it's like I need to sort of like 
realize the uh, whole process, meaning creating these things in the studio is very important. Going through the whole process of actually the history of each of these uh, things, I'm buying them store-bought and then transforming them hmm. into things that are layered in history, you know. And so when, when you're going through that, because like, I mean, there's a history of artists who've been working with found objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nothing of, wrong with found no, objects now. No, it's, it's not. It's not, but what, I think it's, for, it's not what I, you know, I, I think I'm I going just, in another direction. I think uh, I find that fascinating because before I like really took a deeper dive into your practice and your work and your process, that's what I thought it was. Like you were you know, <laughs> finding these tree branches and lighting them on fire. And it's a way, way more nuanced and sophisticated process. And I think for me... It's important for people to know that. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times there's a particular... The assumption. Assumption mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. language we become familiar with. Sure. And they don't really know that there's a process. Um, there are a lot of... Uh, you know, you talk about... Uh, uh, making chaos legible, yeah, right. right? So there are a mm-hmm. lot of specific choices that you're making mm-hmm. in order to. Well, you're grasping at notes. Yeah, it's like if you were making music, and you say making jazz, classical music, yeah. or any type of music. Yeah, you're looking for the right uh, tones, mm-hmm. uh, colors, the nuance. Mm-hmm. You know this 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 uh, this vibe. Yeah, and each one has its own you know uh, iteration. So you need to sort of like pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, found objects already resonate. Yeah. You know, it's like being able to go through that whole process, super important for me. Yeah. Uh, um, it can be exhausting, but it's worth the exhaustion, you know, mm. uh, what you end up getting on the other side. Not that everything is successful, but in the end, you know, uh, uh, things are revealed, you know. How do you think, obviously you, you said you don't use found materials anymore. How else have your work changed? Because of Bridgeport? I mean, well, cha- you're, you're honestly, growing up. Well, cha- the challenge of growing up in the hood I mean, you'll hear this come from uh, most people that make it out of there. You hear it from Venus and Serena. I mean, you, this goes on, the list goes on and on of people who actually make it out of there. Uh, uh, the, the challenges of that actually are your very strengths. You mm-hmm. know? So uh, as I sort of move forward, you know, like uh, um, the idea of actually pedaling backwards is like was not, could not, you couldn't let that happen. Uh, it, it's like rocket fuel actually shooting out from there if you have the gumption to sort of challenge your surroundings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of the, you know, the tropes, I mean, the, uh, growing up in the hood, you know, the projects is all of what you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, um, but I didn't know any better, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, bit by bit, as I started exhibiting and understanding there was a world out there and an audience out there for what I was doing. And keep in mind, as a 13-year-old, when I started exhibiting, it wasn't like I was going around showing my work and saying, look at this, look at this. I was doing that naturally. I was an addict. As always, mm-hmm. I've always been an addict. Mm-hmm. And uh, what that, when, I, when I say that, what I mean is this, I have to make work. My mother was a force of nature to try to stop me from making work. It was the very thing that actually was getting away my schoolwork. I was not, I did the second grade twice, you know, it was just a mess. They give me a, you know, like a test paper and I draw all over it, you know. And so in the end, there were older artists, mentors, who, who took me under their wings when I was uh, probably like maybe nine, ten years old, mm-hmm. and they saw something in what I was doing. Mm. And they fed me canvases, paints, and things like that. I mean, I was drawing on, like, shoe boxes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, what is it called? The uh, first two pages in the book, you know, the mm-hmm. blank pages. Mm-hmm. Anything that was a blank page, the walls, the TV mm-hmm. screen, you know, like, uh, whatever I can, you know, I saw as an opportunity sort of, like, to exercise, you know, my addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But these, these older artists saw something else. 
And when they started giving me paints and canvas and stuff like that, then things really, you know, it was like, it was all, it's it out now, mm. you know? Mm. So I just started like making, you know, paintings and, you know, and they were feeding me, actually interesting enough, they were feeding me things like uh, the Wyeth family, Norman Rockwell, Maxwell Parrish. And that's what I thought art was. Mm-hmm. So I was making copies of these things. And uh, at that point, I had seen Jackson Pollock's work. And it was it. It was like, <laughs> you know, I was, that was the direction I was going in. It was something that was beyond this prettified surface or my facility, to, for that mm-hmm. matter. And then so in terms of the work, so we talked about material, process, your addiction to making. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit more about your actual relationship to these materials that you choose the materials are materials are kind of like vehicles. Mm-hmm. I mean, because once you find your voice, honestly, it, it, you, you can work with just about anything. Now, when I say that, I mean I had to test that for myself. I mean, it was a it was a it was one of those kind of philosophies you just kind of throw in the air. But you know, you need to test that. So when I was making the rust works, people knew me for like, okay, you worked with cotton, okay, you worked with rust, and it's like, okay, these are your supposed signature materials and your strengths. Now keep in mind that I had challenged this this very notion of comfort way back when I was a child. Okay. You know, so, you know, if you're saying, okay, my facility's in the way, I need to tie my hands. When Russ became like, okay, this is possibly your signature and possibly the, your, your, your cash cow, so to speak, it's like, okay, what would happen if I took that away? Mm. Uh, you know, and then what, would the material, what material would you work with? So I said, what if I just took something as bland as paper, 16 pound bond paper? Uh, which is like Xerox paper, mm-hmm. and like, um, and just do something with that. Try to do something with that. And came number eighty, which really I wouldn't say was successful, but the works that came thereafter, actually, all paperwork, all cast paperwork, all were heavy emotionally. Okay. So that means that once you find your voice, no matter what materials you're working with, inevitably, you know, it's going to become you. Okay. You know, it, it's 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 your voice, baby. You know. Some people call it failure. I like to call it discovery. How do you deal with those moments where it doesn't quite come together? A lot of times things don't quite come. Most times they don't come together. Mm. (laughs) That is actually the dog bone, you know what I mean, or the carrot, Mm. the thing that drives you. But you you need to put yourself in a place where you don't know, where you don't know. Once you know, it's it's tedium. It's like it's it's a repetition. It's like you need to not know. Mm-hmm. In order to sort of make discoveries, you need to not know. It makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> so I continue, continually put my place, myself in a place where I absolutely, absolutely am, am lost. And I need to dig myself out of that. Um, you know, my physical journeys at this point have everything to do with that. You know, like uh, uh, putting yourself in a place like China, for instance. And I'm not talking like your civil places like Hong Kong or Shanghai. We're talking way out in the hinterlands where people aren't speaking any English. I mean, you know, this is what would have been communist China, where folks weren't really like, uh, you see a lot of black folks out there. So me walking around there, man, it's like, you know, it's like a bald head Michael Jackson. You know, (laughs) here they come. So so question about that experience, because when Mm. I was in college, I spent three months in China teaching English. I saw three black people in three months. Oh, okay. All right. One, of them, one of them happened to be Kobe Bryant. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but how was that experience knowing that, like, because, like, for me, that experience was, like, illuminating because, you know, I learned some basic words to allow me to, you know, do kind of day-to-day things, but you really kind of had to, like, deal with human-to-human, eye language, mm-hmm. showing them, sketching it out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how did that experience kind of force you to uh, really work through and challenge yourself, but then also try to embrace the experience, embrace the people around you? Did people embrace you, or they find you to be a curiosity? Listen, in the, in the end, if you, you know your your life philosophies get tested. If you choose to sort of like live your life in a sort of this sort of confined space, uh, politically and otherwise, then yeah, sure, you're you're, you're not going to grow. Mm-hmm. But if you have an expansive and all-encompassing philosophy, you can pretty much go anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. and you're going to find like you know like-minded people, like-minded spirits. Um, um, philosophically speaking, spiritually speaking, you're gonna you you you're gonna find yourself, your mirrors of you out there, and possibilities of of uh, of uh, coming together. And fair trade-offs are, are extremely important for an artist. I mean, John Coltrane, before he passed, was doing a lot of that. Uh, he didn't live long enough to actually bring all that music that he was collecting together. But there are musicians now who are still following his path, so to speak. You know, bringing together all these uh, supposedly disparate music together okay. uh, into jazz, which jazz is actually one of those kind of improvisations, you know, much like what I'm doing. You know, so uh, um, um, I'm wide open. So we'll fast forward a little bit because I, I want to talk a little bit about this project you have in Madison Square Park because mm. uh, it's your first public art project, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always like to ask artists, you know, why did you say yes? Um, one. Two, uh, yeah, why did you say yes? What was the opportunity that you saw in it? And, um, what have you identified to be uh, the shift in terms of your work being experienced in the public space versus mm. in the white cube? Boy, honestly, I really wanted to say no. <laughs> I mean, really, it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I did have enough challenges going on, and the very idea that I was going to have to do something supposedly monumental outside, I mean, framed by uh, the city, which is a crazy, uh, you know, Surroundings, man. We're talking Empire State Building, Fire Building. Uh, I mean, all the surrounding buildings are actually, uh, you know, to most artists who don't, especially if you don't have not ever done anything outdoors, this should be super intimidating. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, uh, you know, you know, you know, if I talked about putting yourself in the unknown, so it's like, you know, here it is again. You're able to sort of test out this little philo- philosophy of yours, you know. So it's like, okay. Uh, Say yes, and then let's see where the chips fall, you know? So uh, in the beginning, it was going to be this uh, monumental 50 or 60-foot-tall monstrosity. It was going to be like this exploding tree thing. And, like, uh, and I said, well, this is going to decapitate somebody. Now, <laughs> now, 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 I had to be the uh, grown-up in the room because all the folks from uh, Madison were like, oh, this is going to be great, you yeah. know? That's one great thing about those guys, especially Brooke uh, Rappaport. Um, they do champ- she does champion you know, ideas, new ideas. Mm-hmm. So all the while we were talking about safety and she was always nudging me like, oh, just do your thing, you know, do your thing, you know. So <laughs> it's it, a good end, place to be as an artist. Oh, absolutely, man. So I, I mean, I can say I've been really, I was lucky on this one mm-hmm. because uh, once I made the decision to, to take it to the uh, ground, mm-hmm. uh, get rid of at least a huge amount of the uh, risk factors and then uh, thought that maybe if we did like this um, undulating wooden rug uh, monstrosity, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was going to be like a kind of a city undulating, sort of like a carpet. And the fact that I was going back and forth to China 
at the time uh, uh, and taking in all this glazing and porcelain and the alchemy of that, uh, you know, uh, you know, whole craft, it started to sort of, you know, find its way into what I was doing with the park. So what was going to be like this large scale working title city in the grass became like this Persian rug because carpet was already in my head. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So and it was like I was already experiencing color. Mm-hmm. So it all started to come together. Mm-hmm. And so I just had to kind of like there are times where you kind of like to take a step back in order to move forward. And once I did that, I could see it all, you know, and I brought all those elements together, um, uh, choreographed. And so it all made sense. And um, what we ended up with is this, this, this thing that I'm still trying to deal with. Mm. I didn't know it was going to be on Albatross because I end up with this thing in the end. Mm. I mean, it's going to be in my hand. So it's like I'm looking oh, at it wow. like, boy, I don't want this thing back. <laughs> I hope we can find a home for it. But that's one of the other things about, uh, you know, these public commissions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all a hustle trying to sort of now find homes for them. Mm-hmm. And realizing the audience is one thing. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is you have to now deal with that material. Okay. And the fact is, I usually deal with materials by just taking things apart mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, refabricating, regurgitating them, uh, regenerating them into other things. Uh, there's always potential. So it's just a matter of like me getting all that stuff to the studio, though the studio is really not big enough to house all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. getting in piecemeal, maybe, yeah. you know, and trying to deal with it. So it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Okay. But uh, it's one that I'm, I'm, I'm built for. Okay. You know, like most sculptors, I think they, they, they find that uh, uh, storing and making things and then storing it. I, I don't really have storage problem because I usually take things apart Got to it. make new things. So all that layering that happens. Uh, in in the, uh, in, the yeah, in the works actually is from old works. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why was it important that the public be able to really access another testing of that philosophy? I always felt that that the viewer should be complicit in completing the works, mm-hmm. and like uh, um, um, that's why I number the works. Yes. They're not titled; they're numbered, uh, just for that very reason that you should be able to see these. These things should be mirrors. Okay. You should be able to see yourself in the work. You shouldn't have to go through me in order to sort of realize the work. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, when artists give titles, they are giving you hints on what the work is mm-hmm. uh, or at least how they're thinking about it or think about how you should be seeing it mm-hmm. and so to remove you know the work for me my work hopefully is not as egocentric and I need to sort of like have some distance so that I can learn too so that means that the public actually has to find their way in these pieces so if the work becomes like a mirror then yeah sure you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna inevitably like you know you know if you're drawn to it then you you know there's a reason why you're drawn to it and the fact that now they're able to walk on top of this piece, they literally are now able to sort of become, you know, actually uh, a, a hand in the uh, creative process because they can walk on top of it. They can climb on it. I mean, all the things that the weather is doing and actually this sort of hands on uh, situation does uh, lend itself to another iteration or another uh, realization of the work, you know, and its future. That is. So. From that process, challenging yourself, saying, hey, let's go for it and see what it yields. Is there one particular thing you can say you learned through the process of making this work? Wow. 
You know, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still being pulled by the nose by that one, mm. uh, and all of the ones, the new ones. I mean, the color, the color, and the action, which are the two new things. That yeah. are, these things were fields before; they were grids, they were minimalist experiments. But this is this is bombastic, and it's uh, it's coming at you, and it's color, and it's action. So all those things actually are now part of something that I'm still, I'm, 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 I'm on board, but I'm at the same time, I'm just getting on board. You know, so I, I know about as much as you do. Mm. Yeah. And so your work traditionally, semi-traditionally, has been, been known to be monochromatic. Mm-hmm. And color is becoming more and more uh, part of it, particularly with the exhibition here at mm. uh, Gallery Lalong and the piece at Madison Square Park. What was the impetus to say, okay, this needs a little bit more ginger, like let me give a little bit more red, or mm-hmm. also, um, I think this color sand, uh huh, yeah, color um, sand, was yeah. that does that come from your experience in China? Or, well, actually, it was more the earth in different provinces, you get a different uh earth, dirt. okay, and that's what your clay is made from, got it. So, uh, understanding you know, like uh, uh some of my, my failures and successes with some of the uh, dirt led me to sort of start working with dirt here, mm-hmm. which one of the pieces here in the exhibition is made up of colored dirt. Now, the, 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 uh, the difficulties of working with dirt is that dirt wants to become mud when you mix it with water or anything wet. Mm-hmm. So the, the, it was, it, you know, so it just naturally, I just sort of like said, okay, let's get rid of the, uh, the pain here and get on with something like sand rather than dirt. Mm-hmm. Sand doesn't become mud. Mm-hmm. And it was just a logical leap, you know, uh, to sort of, now work with sand. Mm. Uh, I think that it's actually uh, not only is it, it, it more worker friendly, it actually um, uh, yields a number of things uh, that are uh, probably uh, in keeping with how I see things and do things, you know. Yeah. And so then we should expect to see more. Absolutely. You kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I've learned my, my lessons the hard way. Okay. You know, like in terms of like I made different uh, works in the past uh, from different materials and then I abandoned that mm-hmm. and there have been artists who've actually just picked up <laughs> some of those experiments mm-hmm. and they're making careers out of that stuff wow. so I said, you know what I better, I better hold on to some of this and if these are just coming out of you then it's like okay right now kind of like saying okay we're going to hold on to that one hold on to this one and okay. you keep learning and bringing in new things but don't let go of the old things mm. yeah that's just maturity yeah mm. so you talk about this philosophy you've developed over your life mm. You know, when I look at the work, read about the work, meditate on it, you know, time keeps coming up, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Like birth, life, death, and regeneration, mm-hmm. mean times in terms of that, mm-hmm. the cycles of life. Yeah, sure. I mean, that these are, you know, it, interesting um, because of the challenges that I took on earlier, they definitely introduced me to this this whole philosophy. I My first piece, number eight, for instance. Um, That's the mother, right? Exactly, the mother piece. So all the works is made up of dead animal parts. And, and how I ended up doing that in 1988, 87, 88, was that, you know, at some point in our lives, we, we ask the questions, okay, what are our fears, okay? Uh, you know, and what are our potential, you know, challenges as we go through this life? Uh, you know, who, who we are sexually, who we are uh, spiritually, you know, like uh, all these things you, are questions that we need to actually take time out to answer. Most of you are doing like nine to fives. They have no time to answer any of those kind of questions. But as an artist, you know, you need to sort of park it at some point and say, let's get this clear in terms of how I'm seeing myself. How I'm, and so that you can actually be clear about you have a clear path when you are actually making things. So working with dead things, death is actually one of the big 
you know, question marks. You know, we don't know what's on the other side. So in order for me to actually, you know, like uh, 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 deal with that, I wasn't going to kill myself, but I could actually play with dead things, you know? <laughs> you know, put your hands into something dead, you yeah. know? Um, collect those things, you yeah. know? I went just going out to a place called Heather Hills, you know, like digging things out in a quicksand deer and all kinds of critters. I got caught in a quicksand, dragging them back home. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Larry's making faces. But I... <laughs> But this, listen, the reality is, is that you, we, we need to sort of get past that, that face and this fear. <laughs> In order to sort of get on with it, we need to get past that. Okay. Once you get, you, got, you get past that one, you know, uh, uh, then you can actually, um, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, have a clear path to sort of allow things to come through. Hmm. Uh, all the works that have come through thereafter, I didn't necessarily have to, I didn't have to use dead animal parts. There's no more dead animal works that's the only one but the works that came thereafter they still have the emotional and spiritual weight of that experience absolutely 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 to this day mm. so this is when i was talking about finding my voice that was that that was like revealing the voice mm. you know so do you when you're making work in the studio the worst works are usually the best ones yeah yeah sure the ones that are actually the most uh uh, uh colorific <laughs> Sensational, you know, like uh, the things that will, will 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 hit you in the face first aren't necessarily the strongest ones. Got you know, it. those are the, the strongest ones are usually the ones that are like you know that are, that go through a, a level of difficulty. Okay, uh, they drag the viewer through that too. Okay. Now, if you were like, um, uh, I mean, speaking to some of my friends when they talk about someone like John Coltrane, for instance, they always talk in terms of, okay, I like this, but I don't like that. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like when his, work, work, his music gets, uh, at, you know, uh, more advanced and more complex, you know, some people fall off, you know, mm -hmm. they can't follow it, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's on it, he's reaching. So that part, always reaching for that thing that you don't know, he's doing that. Most uh, artists who, uh, who are about it actually are, you know, trying to break through a barrier, you know. Mm -hmm. It's there, but we, we need to sort of continue to sort of like note, put ourselves in a place where we don't know, and you're reaching. So is there a particular barrier or challenge that you're, you're thinking about now that you want to kind of push through? Well, um, boy, there's just so much, and it's like I'm just, I'm, I'm just honestly trying to apply myself uh, I wish you were like 30 hours in a day, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, mean, I would definitely choose less sleep in order to sort of, you know, attempt to sort of get at these things. Yeah. I've never been married. I don't have children. Love both those things, you mm -hmm. know, but, you know, like uh, something else is calling. So okay. I need to, I'm, I'm attempting to apply myself. And, and if we were to speak about how I've applied myself to uh, uh, my craft, so to speak, I should have gone belly up, belly up a long time ago. You know, I've been doing this since... If you count all the way back to 74 when I started exhibiting, but the truth is maybe 92 is when I came out okay. in terms of like as a fine artist. Um, uh, so uh, what, what do you think has allowed you to continue to thrive? Just, you know, as an artist, you know, always being honest about how I'm seeing things. When I say that, I'm not necessarily speaking about these things. I'm doing these things. Mm -hmm. So that means, you know, like, um, you know, being in the studio and working, finding that, okay, maybe at some point you need to sort of get out and bring in more, uh, uh, you know, a life, okay. you know, to apply it to what you're doing. Yeah. So, so just being honest about, like, you know, um, and actually apply yourself also to this, this journey. You need to sort of be a participant in your own goddamn life, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's just a matter of, like, 
you know, like uh, dealing with, uh, uh, you know, the most difficult moments, which is like not knowing and then saying or putting yourself in a position where you don't know and then saying, OK, let's 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 try to figure this out, you know, and giving up on the things that are luxuries, you know, when you do put yourselves in, I guess, those uncomfortable positions. I mean, have you ever had moments of doubt like what the hell am I doing and, and, and if you have yeah, how sure. do you sure absolutely how do you not succumb to it because I think just generally forget if you're an artist just as a human being like you know I think most people are are, are cool with being comfortable and and and, and are not uh, willing to embrace the challenges of the unknown and the growth that comes from that well listen if you want to stay above ground then you're going to have to do something about it mm-hmm. you know you know, you can always call it quits, but yeah. if you want to stay above ground. <laughs> and as long as you are, you know, then you're going to have to take it up. You mm-hmm. know, you have to do it. You know, mm-hmm. you got to you have to be about it. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, like uh, I've given, given up, like I said, like uh, there were you know, moments when I could have parked it, so to speak. I couldn't have been a brother that did the cotton pieces back in yeah. the day, you know, or the rust pieces back yeah. in the day or the cast paper pieces back in the day. You go through the catalog and you'll see there's a number of iterations or possibilities. Yeah. Um, so, but mm-hmm. because particularly, I know there are going to be a lot of young artists listening, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Why was it so important for you to shift the material? If we're thinking about your practice as like a dictionary, add more words mm-hmm. to the vernacular, right? Um, constantly, because I think you have some artists who become a one trick pony. You know, and then you have other artists that are doing too many things, so there's right. no focus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess, how do you, or how have you been able to synergize and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do for this moment. Okay, I've exhausted that. You know, now it's time to tie my hands and try something else. It's the com- the level of comfort. It it will introduce itself. It will. Uh, comfort comes in a form a lot of times in, in, in of, of like successes. Okay. And um, now it's okay, I believe it's okay to write that only up to a point. And then it's like, okay, now it's time to let this shit go. Okay. And now it's time to sort of like move. There's the possibilities. And, and life is too damn short, man. I mean, you go park that and it's like, then you're, you know, it's like, uh, for me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I need to sort of like, you know, you know it, once you've sort of done enough of this, it's like, okay, now it's time to sort of make an adjustment. Okay. You know, uh, life is calling. So it's like uh, if you want to be a participant, then you have to, you know, make the adjustment, adjust your frequency so you can take on take in new information. That might mean traveling. That might mean actually new relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, all all kinds of ways of 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 digging at or digging up Mm. uh, uh, possibilities. But the idea of the reach is absolutely, absolutely important. And always think in terms of reaching, you know, reaching, reaching, reaching out. Yeah. When you get to the studio, you know, is there a routine or a ritual or there you know, I'll tell you honestly, there there there's inward travel and there's outward travel, mm-hmm. right? Uh let's cover both those things. Because I can spend a lot of time, you know, me time. Yeah. You know, just in the studio or in myself, in my head. I spend a lot of time walking. That's outward. So this, the, the outward and the inward, actually being able to understand the balance of the two things and how necessary they are uh, is key because you can spend a lot of time on either or, too much luxury time moving around doing nothing mm-hmm. physically. And then, of course, inward journey doing almost very much the same thing. Those two things have to come together. Okay. Uh, I'm not a musician. I'm not a writer or poet. 
uh, but I do make things. So there's yeah. a point where you need now you need to sort of do what you were put on this earth to do. Okay. That means make something with mm-hmm. all this information that you've been gathering, mm-hmm. the information that you've been gathering on the inside and the information you've been gathering on the outside. Mm-hmm. Those elements are very important that these two elements do come together and they marry each other uh, also. So it's like it's always this sort of ongoing balance of things and then you get past that one then you're on to the next thing okay but there you have to keep you gotta you gotta you gotta keep keep life moving moving, keep it alive keep life alive you Mm. know add new things in order to sort of like just it's it's like a it's like being punched into wakeness you know what i'm saying we will have a tendency to fall into sameness or 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 monotony you know Mm. uh meandering having a life where you're meandering is not good so Mm. it's like you need to sort of like have a path Follow that out, and then hopefully that there's trajectories to that. There's mm-hmm. just like there are these, uh, you know, po- other possibilities. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I see the work that way. I see life that way. And then in terms of the show that's up now, this is your first show with Gallery Lalong. Mm-hmm. What was your process in terms of like, you know, starting a new kind of formal relationship, even though you've had like an informal relationship with the gallery, mm-hmm. and somewhat reintroducing yourself to probably a new audience but most a good amount of people know who you are oh, yeah you know so i guess maybe i wouldn't say 2.0 but mm-hmm. the next chapter yeah this is definitely the next chapter and interesting enough it came along the same time as sort of color and action and all these other new things that are sort of popping out mm-hmm. so it, it's it's almost like you're shedding your skin right and you're into a, no, a new iteration of self uh, what's on the other side of this i couldn't know but i can only tell you that where i've been has introduced where I am right now. Okay. So, uh, um, uh, you know, the fuel, right? So, uh, I mean, my days of like, I, you know, really been 1992 when I started with Thread Waxing, then worked with Mary Boone for like eight years, and then Sycamore Jenkins thereafter, and now with this gallery, it's a it's a shift of personalities, uh, but you're maturing as you're sort of moving along. Okay. So you're making kind of decisions, strategic decisions based on what your needs are. Okay. Uh, you know. Okay. And as a, as a mature adult, I started realizing, of course, that it's not so much about space, but about relationships. Mm-hmm. There's a catalyst that comes with, you know, like a new situations. Introducing yourself in these new situations definitely is going to become, like I said, fuel for new possibilities, you know, you know, an otherness, you know. And then so specifically for this show, like or a show in general, like how do you think about what you're going to make, you know, themes, threads? For that specific show, I think they're mm. overarching ideas that have just been connected. Well, tissue I mean, this practice. show was really supposed to happen. Okay, uh, it, it, it came about <laughs> because like it was intercepted. Okay, you know, like I intercepted the uh, piece in the park. Now, Got honestly, it. there's not that much space in my studio, but okay. here I am working on the the piece for the uh, park, which is monumental and ridiculous, and mm-hmm. and then I'm also working on SFO, the airport in San Francisco. Okay, along with Facebook, which is okay. another monster of a piece. Wow! So it's like okay, all simultaneous, and now they're throwing in this, you know, this possible exhibition at this, and I'm <laughs> like, are you crazy? <laughs> this is the last thing I want to do. It take it took all of like you know probably uh 20 minutes for me to sort of like say okay maybe we better do this you know strategically speaking it it made sense okay and, and it, it, there were all these things that are in my head anyway okay so it, it was just uh, the idea of uh, balancing this very um uh, undulating quiet monstrosity that's in the park with something else and i didn't know what that something else was but it did happen it's this bombastic creature that like appeared in the gallery uh had everything to do with I'm like the yin and yang of a of a, of a, mm. of a balance, 
because this one is a noisy thing and the other one is a very serene and like uh, an, an inviting piece. And so... Um, and was that something that organically happened or did you say, okay, this is how I'm going to map it out? It, it happened. It, it, you know, it, you, 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 you know... Art, art kind of just occurs, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like um, you put it's almost like being pushed, you know, like uh, up against the into a situation. OK. And it's like uh, now you have to, you know, sink or swim. Right. And so that's for me, that's like best possible position to be in, because I'm not sure what's going to be coming out. But it's like once you said that you're in, then it's like now you have to actually physically put your body in the act, you know, mm. and just seeing, the, you know, like and looking at this thing now, it's like, holy cow, what the, you know, I, you know, I had another idea for what I was going to do a year from now with the gallery. I thought oh, wow. I was going to have a year to produce, but I only had like no more than a month and a half. A month and a half? Yes, to produce all of this? All, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. What? Yes, 30 hours, a 30 hour day would be a great thing. <laughs> Imagine how much I could get done, but it's like, uh, yes. You watch basketball? I do. I, at least uh, uh, the finals. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what? You know, Kobe came out with a book, Black Mamba or something like that. Mm-hmm. But talking about the Mamba mentality, and so I mean, you've developed that over your practice through this, which you frame as an addiction, but there's a repetition. Mm-hmm. You know, so he talks yeah. about like okay. repetition to the point where when you have to take that big shot. Five seconds. It's Bingo. another shot. Bingo. You're not Bingo. even thinking about it. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. So I guess. Okay. Did you? I hadn't thought of it that way, but I yeah. think you're absolutely right. Because in there. the thing is, it's mm. like I don't mm. know many artists who could produce this much work at this level of quality. You know, because you. normally something has to give, or you cut a corner, and you're just like, ah, effort. No one's gonna notice. Mm-hmm. You know. So how do you? Make sure that you're being honest with yourself when you're. When you know, you're my mother tried to stop me <laughs> from being an addict when I was a child. Yeah. So as I said earlier, you get tested early. Now there are artists who actually we all got tested. Yeah. You know, some actually are. You know, it's a welcoming thing. Like, oh, your parents say, oh, you're an artist, and I'm gonna give you this, and then you're gonna, you know, nurture this. And there are a lot of parents who are like, you know, fuck this, man. You're not. <laughs> You're not going to put me in a poor house, you know? Yeah, yeah. So once you get that one early and you pass it, then anything's possible. Okay. Anything, absolutely anything is possible. My mother was a force of nature. I mean, was physically put hands on you to make you stop. But that's the funny, <laughs> that's the funny thing. Like, mm. I talk to people, we all have challenges. And, and coming from the environment I came, which wasn't, isn't, because I'm still in that area, uh-huh. that different, mm. um, I kind of laugh. Because I always tell people, for me, it's a blessing to make money doing this mm. that something i love and enjoy mm. and like build the relationships that i've built what would you say to artists and also like uh, I'm, I'm always conscious of like chelsea as a space because i actually have friends who live in the houses on 10th mm-hmm. what would you say to young aspiring artists or people who are trying to figure it out in terms of not letting their current circumstance how deep is your them? love hmm you know, how deep is your love? I mean, come on now. It's like, let's talk about that, right? Yeah. Um, and there are levels of that. You yeah. know this, right? Uh, there are some of us that are in for the money. Yeah. And they know how to sort of like turn a buck yeah. the hustlers. You know, I mean, I come from an area where that's what it was about. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, um, and then, you know, you, you, the depth of, of what it is you're, 
you're bringing and what it is you're after. All those things have to sort of come together. Okay. So I would definitely want, I mean, speaking to young artists, I mean, I could see it yeah. before they even start talking about it. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, this person is like, you know, he's searching. You okay. Know? And there are some that are, they rest on their facilities and it's like, and you can, you know, pull them away and then try to get them to understand that there might be something else, you mm-hmm. know? A couple more questions and I think we will conclude. I'd be remiss to not ask because this is like hot topic. What are your thoughts on a lot of the institutions now reconciling their missteps on acquiring work by artists of color? It's an interesting time. Yeah. It's an interesting time. The market. Because um, I was in LA over the weekend talking to some folks and they were like, what do you make of all this? These auction prices, everybody's like, trying to collect black artists is it sustainable and i'm like yeah it's sustainable if you if you're committed to supporting these voices yeah you know do you mm-hmm. ever think about that or you're just kind of like i see that that's cool but that's not what it's one thing to know where you stand on these things right yeah it's another to know about the perception in terms of how you're being seen yeah um the number of occasions i you know have to straighten people out mm-hmm. in terms of like okay if you're moving, shifting gallows, for instance, they, you become like a hot commodity now. You know what I mean? And you got to sort of get an idea like, okay, how are you seeing me and how are you realizing me? And then it's like they, they give themselves away okay. in terms of like where the market is, in terms of where I would be, in terms of the market, uh, how well they would be if they got me. And yeah. it's like, uh, so you know that, yeah, you can be a piece of meat. And it's, it, there, there was a moment, you know, for a long time. Where we weren't even allowed in. Now, all of a sudden, like, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting one of us. <laughs> and so, which is, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's great. I mean, it's our 40 acres in a mule. You know what I mean? It's like, if you got skills, now it seems like you get that 40 acres in a mule. Yeah. But in the end, um, listen, you got to make serious fucking art no matter what. You know, Jack knew that. He was making it. Overstreet knew that. He was making it. Uh, I, I remember um, before uh, Joe passed. Uh, Overstreet, that is, uh, his friend Quincy Troop was telling me this funny story because these folks are now coming through his studio, uh, okay. Joe Overstreet's studio, yeah, 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 saying, yeah. like, uh, checking out Joe's work and saying, yeah, yeah. look, check, you know, like, oh my God, this is what the work is about. And, and you know, Joe was like, you know, he's, he's like, like, there's no filter. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to say what's on his mind, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just said, like, uh, he's like, hey, what are you talking about? You're like, you know, I know why I make these things. You're going to put words in my mouth. And it's like, it's, you know, these guys are, they're the real thing. They've been through it. They've been ignored. At the same time, they always bought it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessary for this market to accept them. Yeah. They were already spiritually inclined to sort of create what they created. And they're on this path of truth. Mm-hmm. The lucky ones here are the people who are digesting this work. Got they're it. the lucky ones. The artists actually were already, they were already given a gift. Give, we're making the stuff, you know what I mean? That is the gift. It has very little to do with the supposed successes. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with that shit. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with you're giving this thing and you can do whatever you want with it, baby. But know? what did that do for you personally? Because I know that, you know, just as a human being, you know, there are times where Jack might have said something to you that was affirming. Like, what did that do for you as a... Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, the, 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 the very idea that, one, you're finding like-minded individuals, that is a beautiful thing, man. Mm. I mean, it's, so, it's, it's like artists spend a lot of time just alone Yeah. in their head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like creating. It's not like a, you know, a band. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a band. It's like a 
one person in the studio working, you know, our ideas. Mm. Um, and then the public out there saying, you, you ain't worth shit. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you're still making these things, you know what yeah. I mean? That's the gift. One, that's already understood. That that's the gift, that you was born with this thing, you have to create it, you're an addict, all right? Mm -hmm. The next thing is to meet others that are like-minded. Mm. That's a beautiful thing. That's the beauty in it, you know? You're not, you're not coming in as a, as a teacher, but you're meeting others that are on the same playing field. You know, it's almost like they get it. You're both vibrating, you know, and this is just, there's nothing like it, man. It's like, um, and believe me, you can meet other artists, successful artists. You're not on the same, you know, you're not different frequencies, you know. But when you meet people on the same, in the same frequency, man, it's, 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 you ain't alone anymore, you know what I mean? Mm. You're not alone. Yeah. I think with that, we will conclude. Thank you, Leonardo, for your time. I appreciate it. <laughs> I so enjoyed that. My name, again, is Larry Osei-Mensa, uh, Suzanne Fell Hilberry, senior curator at MOCAD, co-founder of Art Noir, here at Gallery Lalong in New York City. Just had an incredible conversation with Leonardo Drew. Hope you enjoyed it. Send us your feedback, letters, email, tweets. Complaints. <laughs> Whatever you choose, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us once again for Viewpoints with Gallery Lalong. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and to visit our website, gallerylalong.com, where you can subscribe to our email newsletter and keep up to date with upcoming exhibitions and artist news. And from all of us at Gallery Lalong, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.